0: It was one year ago today that our home was robbed. It was a beautiful, sunny Monday morning, and I was sitting in the backyard as someone ransacked the upstairs of our home, stealing jewelry, handbags, pulling the art off the walls. A few days after our home invasion, I did post online that it had happened I didn't give many details then, but I do share a lot of my life on the internet, and I wanted to acknowledge that this thing had happened and that it would likely color our lives for a while. And it did. It has. But now, a full year later, I'm ready to share more about that experience because sharing of ourselves is what this show is about And in talking about our home invasion, I want to encourage you to share with friends or loved ones about the hard things that have happened in your life, the things that don't get posted online among the shiny photos of our kids, the things that turned out okay in the end and that everyone tells you to get over because how lucky are you that it wasn't worse? Pushing down our hard stuff because other people have it harder, this builds up. If we don't find an outlet for our emotions, if we don't get it out of our bodies somehow, it will morph and stick around in unpleasant ways. In anger, in depression, in anxiety. My primary way of expressing emotion is by talking. So today I'm going to share 10 things about our home invasion. Or answer on social media using the hashtag 10ThingsToTellYou. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. On the September morning that we were robbed, I was in a really good mood. That's number one. That the year up until then had been kind of rocky for our family. My husband Jeff had been away For five months, making a movie. Earlier that year, I'd had some health stuff that ended up in a surgery with a longer recovery time than I was expecting. And we also had some extended family drama that had been painful. So I was really white-knuckling it for the first half of 2018. But by September, things were really looking up. School was back in session, so I was getting some work done and some writing hours in again. Jeff was home from his shoot, so our family was really feeling complete. I was physically feeling better. In fact, it really wrapped my head around the idea of starting this podcast and moving forward with the website and the messaging, all things of 10 things to tell you. And I'd recently hired a friend of a friend to help me with some of this admin stuff to kind of assist me with my online work. And that Monday I was meeting with that new assistant to really buckle down and get into launching a new show. I had like a whole plan. It was not my first meeting with the new assistant, but we had been meeting at coffee shops and I didn't really love that. So it was the first time that we were meeting at my house where it could be quiet and where we could get a bunch of stuff done. Number two, she arrived at the house at 11 a.m. And the day was so pretty. I suggested we sit outside to meet and talk. We both had our laptops with us and our phones, her purse. She'd never been to our home. She didn't know the layout. She certainly didn't know that we were going to sit outside. But we posted up on our outside table. The French doors to our back area were wide open because this is how we live in Southern California. We got to work. My dog, Kona Rocket, he was outside with us, and at one point, I wandered back into the house to get us some water. At another point, I went into the kitchen and got my wallet out of my purse because we were buying something online. We sat in the backyard for a couple of hours. Towards the end of our meeting, I heard what sounded like a big piece of glass dropping. I even said, what was that? But I looked up, and in our neighborhood, actually sort of right above us. There was construction going on for a few different houses, and I could see workers up on those roofs, so I just assumed that they had dropped something. I didn't think anything else about it. Number three. When our meeting was over, I went to walk my guest to the door, and I was leading the way back into the house, and after a few steps inside, I saw that our back door had been broken in. There was glass all over the floor. The door was broken. My first thought was someone is in the house. So I did not scream. I did not panic. I turned right around. I told my guest to go right back outside the way we came. She didn't know exactly what was going on. She was clueless for a second, but she did exactly what I said. I already had my phone in my hand, so I walked calmly towards the back of the backyard and I dialed 911. Number four, the scariest moments of this whole experience were the four minutes between discovering someone had broken down the locked door and when our neighborhood security showed up. I'm not going to give a ton of details about our home or exactly how the person broke in or our security systems. It just does not seem like a smart thing to do to outline all of that here. But I will say when we went back out to the backyard, I realized immediately that we were stuck back there. At the time, and this is no longer true, we fixed this, but at the time there was no easy way to get from the backyard to the driveway or the street. You would have had to go back through the house. So we were back there on the phone with 911 and I did not tell my guests this, but if someone were to have cornered us back there, we would be stuck. So I'm realizing this, and I'm staring up at the house, wondering if someone is about to come outside. I kept second-guessing myself if a curtain had moved. I was very calm on the outside, but I was nearly paralyzed with fear on the inside. Our neighborhood security arrived very quickly, under five minutes, and he was able to get us into the driveway area, so we had barely gotten to that side of the fence when we all heard a loud noise. It sounded like it was in the house. The security guy drew his weapon. It was very dramatic. Number five, it took nearly an hour for the LAPD to get there. That is just the nature of Los Angeles, where home robberies are common enough that unless there's someone in immediate danger, we're just not that high on the priority list And in that time, while we were waiting for the police, we were outside across the street. We'd sort of figured out by now that no one was inside. Of course, we weren't sure of that, but I had somehow convinced myself that, yeah, clearly someone had broken down our door, but the second they got into the kitchen, they would have seen me and my guest outside, or they would have heard us talking because Um, the other doors were open, and that they had probably fled right away. It did not even occur to me in that first hour before we knew anything that our home had actually been robbed. That idea did not make any sense. We would have heard someone in the house. The backyard doors and the windows were open. It was just too bizarre to comprehend the alternative. So in my total intuition, in my gut... I really was thinking, wow, this was such a near miss. How crazy is this? I even called Jeff at work and I did start crying when he answered, but I actually told him that he didn't need to come home. I was super sorry to bother him at work, that someone had broken the door in, but police were on their way. It was totally fine. It's so weird to me how the brain works, the deep. Denial and disbelief I was in, that one of my main emotions was that I felt guilty for interrupting Jeff's workday. Looking back, that is just so weird to me and so indicative of how we're wired, that even in the midst of this thing, that I really didn't want to inconvenience anyone with my drama. That is a piece I've lingered on a little bit, how like even with guns drawn in the driveway, that as a woman, as a mom, I was still reassuring people over the phone that it was totally fine. By the way, of course, Jeff came right home. He could see what the situation was clearer than I could standing in the street. But there are a few very clear moments in my memory from this day, and one of them is that phone call to him. Number six, once the police arrived and did an extensive sweep of the house to make sure no one was inside, they came out to the street and the main policeman approached me and Jeff and said something along the lines of, it's pretty messy in there. Listen, friends, it was a Monday. We'd had a busy weekend and I 1000% thought that he was making a commentary on on the cleanliness of my house. And I responded to him sort of defensively, like, okay, we have kids. It was a big weekend. Jeff, on the other hand, he knew exactly what the man was saying, and yet no one was spelling it out for me. I cannot understate the baffling depth of my denial. But the policeman did look at me, and he just said very calmly, let's go inside together. And, well, once we got inside, it was very clear what had happened. Whether you are in a super busy season of life or don't want to make multiple weekly trips to the grocery store or just want to change up your meal routine, there is no better time to try Factor. I'm excited to partner with Factor this year because no one likes not having to cook dinner every night more than I do. Factor is a ready to eat meal delivery service that makes eating better every day easy. Each meal is cooked fresh and is never frozen, with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and more. Each Factor meal is pre prepared, chef crafted, and dietitian approved. There are 35 different options to choose from every week, plus an additional 60 add ons to fill you up in between meals as well. All you have to do is heat your meal in the microwave for two minutes and then enjoy restaurant quality food. Heat and eat and that's it. These meals come right to your door and you can also pause or reschedule your delivery anytime. There is no prep, no cooking, and no cleanup. What more can I ask for? Head to factormeals.com slash tell 50 and use code TEL50 to get 50% off. That's code TEL50, T-E-L-L, then the number's five, zero, at factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals, M-E-A-L-S, dot com slash tell 50 to get 50% off. Multiple rooms upstairs were just... Ransacked, like you see in the movies. Dresser drawers pulled out and dumped. Just everything was turned upside down. I was so shocked by what my eyes were seeing. Not just because it's shocking to see your house turned upside down, to see your drawers all over the floor, but within fractions of a second, I knew that my beautiful things were gone. Before I saw that they were gone, I knew that they were gone. But my biggest source of disbelief came from the fact that I had been sitting outside, mere feet away from where this destruction was taking place, and I hadn't heard anything. I had not even sensed anything. My dog, who we had gotten in part as an alert dog, as another set of ears in the house when I was alone, He had slept at my feet the entire time that someone had been on the other side of the wall stuffing our sentimental jewelry and gifts and family heirlooms into a duffel bag to take for themselves. The dog hadn't stirred. I, who really prides myself on my intuition, I had not noticed or thought a thing. And it was this piece, this disbelief of the logistics that became the hardest thing for me, even more than the robbery itself. Number seven, I just couldn't reconcile what the facts were telling me. The whole thing made zero sense. And the dozens of theories that followed the incident, like the guesswork of what the intruder might have been aiming for or thinking or whether it was planned out or just random, like all of those angles that you spin around something like this, none of it made any sense. The truth is there is no emotional or rational explanation for every piece of this puzzle. And sometimes it feels good to analyze a thing to death. But in this instance, it was just unhelpful. To me, mostly, it was really frustrating to hear all the theories, even though I know that that's a way that people process an event. Even I participated in the analysis for a little bit, but it's not an episode of CSI. It seems like there is some kind of a weird glee that people on the periphery take in a drama, especially a drama like this one, where there wasn't any tragedy to a human There was nothing that couldn't be replaced, which brings me to the things. Number eight, the items stolen from our home were almost exclusively mine. Jewelry, including my wedding rings, my anniversary rings, some of my daily jewelry that I normally put on before I leave the house, but I was still at the house, so I didn't have them on. Designer handbags, uh, those things all make up the bulk of what was taken, which makes sense. Those are valuable items. They can be sold or pawned or whatever. They're small. But between the things stolen being mostly my things, and of course, being the one that was at home when this happened, it led to this very strange sense that this thing had only happened to me that I was very alone in this experience. Which isn't true, I should clarify. My husband was very affected by this, but it felt for a while like I was the only one going through something. Because what everyone kept saying to me over and over and over again, from the cops to my family to strangers to my therapist, literally everyone said some version of thank goodness you didn't go inside and encounter this person who knows what could have happened thank god it was just your stuff and obviously this is true and valid and i see this better now than i did at first of course i'm so grateful this this wasn't an entirely different story but gratitude was not my first emotion Relief was not my first emotion and gratitude and relief were what others felt because this wasn't a tragedy, but I kept saying privately, I kept saying to people, but he took all my things, like all my stuff is gone. And people would just look at me like I was bonkers, of course, but I could not help repeating and looping on the idea that all of my stuff was gone. And I knew how shallow it sounded and materialistic, but I just could not, not feel this way. And now with some perspective, I can see that what I was saying by focusing in on the items stolen, even though they were beautiful and meaningful things, What I was really saying wasn't simply, he took my stuff. I was really saying, he took my identity. I didn't even realize the depths of which we can tie our identities to our physical stuff. And I would like to think that I'm smart and deep and would never conflate worldly possessions with who you are and your soul until they're taken from you in mass, and then you're forced to face the fact that you have more wrapped up in these dumb, inanimate objects than you would like to admit. It made me understand on a new level and constantly think about people who have lost their homes in hurricanes or tornadoes or fires and just how deeply devastating that must be. Because of course you're grateful to be alive, but also no one understands that you're really going to miss that potholder from your grandmother or whatever. I never, never, never would have imagined the complicated emotions that I would have around items that could be so quickly taken. This identity part loomed so large for a few months following the robbery, Jeff's reaction was, he wanted to go out and just replace items right away, like almost to get things back to normal, to act like it didn't happen. On the other hand, I didn't want to replace anything. I immediately got into a very weird headspace about material things and never having them again. And, you know, it was just a lot. But I also think that that whole mind swirl was partly just a protection. It was easier to think about stolen handbags than it was to conquer the real elephant in the room, which was fear. Number nine, having an intruder break into the house while I was at home has been perhaps my greatest fear since I was a child. I don't know how to explain it. I just was always worried that it was going to happen. When I was a kid, I read a lot of scary books and stories. And then when I was a teenager in the 90s, I got super into true crime back when it was still very lowbrow before it was the hugely popular genre that it is now. A person literally breaking down the door has always been one of my life's greatest fears. And then it happened. Not in the night like I always assumed. There was no traumatic or tragic confrontation, like I feared. Instead, it was a sunny September day. No one was hurt. The dog didn't even bark. But for the mess he left behind and the items stolen, it was kind of like a non-event, honestly. And from the moment that it happened until this moment that you're listening, our house has never felt different. I've never felt a bad energy in our home, like something scary had been there or had happened there. And although I've been jumpy since the robbery, I stay very attuned to noises, and we've made a lot of changes to our house after this incident, but I was arguably more scared when I was home alone before this happened. There's always been something supernatural about the robbery. I don't mean that it was a ghost. I mean, I know it was a human. But there is just something so strange about it. Something I cannot put my finger on about how silent it was despite all the damage. Something about the dog. I don't know. I don't know had a lot of emotions in the last year, mostly around how huge it was in our family and also how it was kind of one of the thousands of criminal acts in Los Angeles that day. Sort of an incident without incident, like a minor car wreck that leaves you in neck pain for the rest of your life. Number 10. Final thoughts on this personal story that I do appreciate you listening to. Within a few hours of seeing the damage to our house and filling out the police report, I called my kids school. They were safely at school until a friend picked them up for us. And I talked to our school director who was very calm. She said all the right things. She is unfortunately well-versed in dealing with things like this. In fact, She could immediately point me towards other school families to talk to who had gone through something similar, which is a bummer about living in a big city. But I think back to our phone call sometimes because the reason I called her in my near hysteria was for advice on what to tell the kids. And she told me some specific things, but the main gist is that I make them feel safe that I assure them in whatever way feels truthful that they are safe, that we are safe, and that our home is a safe place. And those were words meant for our kids, but that afternoon I needed to hear them for myself too. The next day after the robbery, my sweet and wonderful mom friends banded together and they sent someone to sage our house just absolutely the most LA thing they could have done. And it was also the most perfect way to show me love that day. Something I would have never known to ask for, but it just made me feel so loved that act of kindness. Just to close any loops here, in case anyone is going to ask, I guess I should let you know that the person who robbed our home was never found. The items were never found. I'm not sure we ever had any real hope of that at any point, Although we did everything we could to follow up, provide a detailed list and photos of the stolen items, but nothing ever came of it. The detectives from the beginning thought that it was a professional person who hit our house, so the chances of recovery were very slim. It took me a whole year to be able to share more about this. As each month went on, I thought I was more and more fine. When about four or five months after the robbery, I was sitting on a couch across the country. I was with friends and um, we were talking a little bit about it. Not even like deeply talking about it. I was just sharing about the incident itself. And while we were chatting, I had such a profound revelation about the guilt I had been carrying that I did not even consciously know was there. The guilt about letting this thing happen, guilt for not hearing anything, guilt for not having my wedding rings on, the deepest layer of shame that I even own things nice enough to steal. But there was just a lot of emotions that I had never let come to the surface before. And they were suddenly pouring out as I told this story to friends months after the fact. And even though there was Like, whoa, a lot to unpack there. A lot of things that I needed to take back to therapy. I never would have let myself have those feelings or those insights if I hadn't been talking about it. So, you know, it's not a podcast gimmick for me. I really do believe wholeheartedly in the power of sharing yourself with others, with people you trust, and in the power of listening to others share their stuff. All of that brings healing and growth and transformation. So I do appreciate you listening to me share this story today. I encourage you highly to go share one of your stories with someone this week. We are for one another and we are all connected.